Hi, everybody. Welcome back to EM Pulse. Today, I'd like to introduce you to our heartbeats. These are mini episodes. They'll be short and sweet discussions on various topics in emergency medicine. And you'll find these as well as our full episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we would love to hear your feedback, and you can reach us via social media at EM Pulse Podcast or on our website, ucdavisem.com. But now let's get to our first heartbeat. You may have watched us recording this on Facebook Live, which is something we hope to do more of. Here we go. This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Larissa May, who is, are you an associate professor? Full professor. professor? Just, full professor. Just became full professor. Congratulations. Hello, full professor of emergency medicine here at UC Davis. And we're going to talk about flu today, which I think is a big issue on everyone's mind this season. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here. So let's start out. Is it really still flu season? Well, we are still in the midst of flu season. Um, typically, it's about 20 weeks long, and I think we're about through week 12 right now, Um, although it seems that uh, one of the strains, influenza A, that is causing the severe epidemic, probably peaked. We're likely to see a few more weeks of this. Of influenza B? Of of some cases of influenza A, because there are so many, and and influenza B has not peaked yet. Okay, and I know as an ER provider, some of us have tests, sometimes we use them, sometimes we don't, but how can you really tell whether it's the flu or another nasty URI? So that is really difficult. I think we all assume during the flu season that it is influenza. However, you really can't distinguish these viruses very easily. So the CDC and WHO definitions basically say anyone with a fever plus a sore throat or cough, uh, that is the clinical definition of influenza. It's not very specific. It could be anything else like adenovirus or human metanumovirus or just rhinovirus. You know, it's really hard to tell between all these viruses. But it is important to know whether it's influenza or another virus that we can't really do anything about. So how, what are we doing? How are we testing? So we used to test using rapid antigen detection tests that fell out of favor. Basically, they relied on an immune response, and they were very insensitive, so to speak. You know, sensitivities ranged from as low as 5%, you know, to 50% more typically. And so if you had a negative test in a patient that you thought had influenza, there was a good chance that they still had influenza. So they were pretty much useless. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and but, now we have something better. So now um, we really have the opportunity for a paradigm shift because we have new rapid moleculars. So these are PCR-based tests that are at the point of care. And so they have much higher sensitivity and specificity, pretty much near 100% for both influenza A and B. And then the specificity is pretty good also um, in the mid-90s. So this time when we get you know a test result in a patient that's had the flu for less than four days, we can be pretty confident of the results. Yeah, that's kind of a game changer. But you need to know which test your institution's using, because that makes a big difference. And so let's say that test comes back positive within a few days. We're talking about Tamiflu, right? Whether or not to give Tamiflu. There's a lot of controversy around that. (laughs) There is a lot of controversy. There's a lot of controversy in emergency medicine and sort of a lot of um, desire not to follow the CDC guidelines. I think if you are following guidelines, you would still use Tamiflu in at-risk patients. And... um, There are some dueling systematic reviews that point to reduced hospitalizations and mortality for patients that are at high risk. And then there's others that show that they may just reduce the duration of illness. I think the concern by emergency physicians is, you know, there aren't really randomized controlled trials showing that this works. 
and also does have some side effects, like a lot of people will puke. Or, um, you know, there's some concern. There have been some reports of neuropsychiatric illness or, or symptoms in, in kids and the elderly. So, you know, in general, vomiting is the, main, is the main symptom. But there's a lot of concern on the part of emergency physicians and also a lot of thinking that the efficacy isn't very good. And what do you think? Well, I think, you know, in a hospitalized patient with severe illness or anyone at high risk of complications, you know, your immune suppressed patients, post bone marrow transplant patients, the really young, anybody, you know, with severe asthma, we really don't have anything else to offer them. So I think that the guidelines are reasonable in those cases, if your patient's being hospitalized, that, that we really should consider using the ulcitamivir. Larissa, what do you suggest for kids in terms of flu shots, treatment? What kind of things should we be recommending for our pediatric patients? So obviously, prevention is the biggest thing. I mean, we know that vaccination, even though imperfect, can pre- help prevent illness. And we also know it prevents mortality. So I believe we've had 63 pediatric deaths so far this year due to influenza. And I think about 80% of the kids who died were not vaccinated. Um, So we we believe there's a mortality benefit to the vaccine. Um, But obviously other preventive measures like hand washing and, you know, not going to work or school when you're actively sick are also important in containing the spread. Okay. So I get this question all the time. Did the vaccine actually work this year? So I think there was a lot of poor public messaging about the flu vaccine this year, which unfortunately led to a lot of people not getting the flu vaccine, and that was really unfortunate. Um, so the initial report suggested that there might be a mismatch and that the efficacy of the vaccine might only be 10%. Reports also suggest that it is better matched than we thought it was for H3N2, but there is still this mortality benefit. So even if you get the illness and you've had the vaccine, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good shot, pun intended, that you will um, not get a severe illness. And also we need to remember that the efficacy of the flu vaccine, you know, varies from year to year. It's, you know, it's not anywhere close to 100%. It's often, you know, sort of a 50-50 in terms of whether you're going to get symptoms. And then there's certain populations like the elderly that don't respond as well. Um, They don't get a good immune response. But that being said, it really is the only good public health measure we have to prevent influenza and to prevent transmission. And vaccinating preschoolers, who are really the reservoir of all this stuff, you know, really is a, good, is a good thing to do, both to prevent illness and potential mortality in them, but also um, in general for public health. So if anyone out there has not gotten their flu shot or has not gotten their kids their flu shots, is it still worth doing? Yes, absolutely. It's not too late. It does take a couple of weeks to get a good immune response, but it's absolutely not too late to get the vaccine. So what are you doing in the ER? And, you know, are you routinely testing everybody with flu-like symptoms or only people at risk? And who are you deciding to treat? So anytime um, with our new rapid molecular test, anytime that I am thinking about starting a patient on ulcitamivir, or anytime it would make a difference um, if they are known to have influenza, for example, they're living with a high-risk person, for example, someone who's on chemotherapy and potentially um, has, uh, you know, their immune system's been wiped out, or anyone who's at risk of getting severe influenza, I think then it's very helpful to have that information. And anyone that's, I'm considering starting ulcitamivir because they are high-risk, I'm testing now. And I'm not starting them on the elsitamivir if it's negative. Gotcha. The former guidelines with the, with the rapid antigen tests that were not very good, basically CDC said if a patient is high risk and they have a negative test result, treat them anyway. Um, so I think this really affords us the opportunity to identify who has influenza, who's at risk, and really, you know, that's up to the individual physician as to what they're going to do with that information. But I think it is a game changer for this year. All right. Well, I think that about wraps things up for us today. Dr. Larissa May, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And it's been a whopper of a flu season. (laughs) Yeah, it has. And if you want some more information about influenza or the flu shot or treatment options and treatment recommendations, 
You can always check out the CDC website. It's a great resource, cdc.gov. Pulse check. Let's recap some of Dr. May's take-home points. One, there are two main types of flu, A and B. A tends to be the more severe, and hopefully it has peaked this season, though we are still seeing some cases. Influenza B is potentially the less severe, but the season is still ongoing. Two, new rapid molecular point-of-care PCR tests are now available, and if your institution has it, this can be really valuable in diagnosis and guiding treatment. Three, oseltamivir, aka Tamiflu, is recommended for treatment of hospitalized or high-risk patients. Though the data isn't great, the harm isn't either, and the main side effect is vomiting. It's the only thing we really have to offer these sick patients right now. Four, prevention is key, including hand washing and vaccination. The vaccine also offers a mortality benefit, so even if you get the flu, you may get a less severe form. Also, consider vaccination and treatment for healthy patients who live with high-risk individuals. And finally, number five, it is not too late to get your flu shot this year. Thanks again for joining me on this EM Pulse Heartbeat. Please rate us and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And join the conversation on social media at EM Pulse Podcast or on our website, ucdavisem.com. Thanks again to the UC Davis Department of Emergency Medicine for supporting us and to OM Productions for making us sound so good. Mm-hmm.